0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to Spirecast. I hope today is beginning uh, with blessings and energy and everything that you need for today. Uh, I'm Casey Tigre. I'm excited to be with you today. Uh, I know, I, I don't know about you, maybe you're a pastor or teaching pastor or communicator, but I do know that one of the biggest challenges we all have is how do we connect well with the people we're speaking to? So whether it's uh, generationally or age and stage or spiritual, our our challenge is always, how do we communicate well? And here at Spirecast, those of you who have been a part of these before, or maybe this is your first time, what we want to do is provide you with uh, insight, conversation with someone who's an expert in their field or well-practiced and versed and written and studied in their field. And so that you can not only hear from them on how to do the things that we all do, but so that you can also ask the questions you need to ask. Uh, in order to uh, improve at uh, the way that you serve the way that you contribute to god's work in the kingdom where you are and so i'm really excited today because i get to talk to my friend sean palmer who has put together a resource for those of us who communicate on a regular basis teach you, whatever you want to call it teaching preaching uh, however you refer to it uh, for those of us who do that and help us connect well with our audience. Um, Sean is an uh, amazing communicator, first and foremost, uh, but he works in a lot of different areas, in, including coaching speakers, also talking about uh, preaching from a perspective of what we're going to talk about today, which is the Enneagram. He also is uh, active in racial reconciliation and conversations around that in the local church. And he currently serves as the teaching pastor at Ecclesia in Houston. So, Sean, welcome to the Spirecast.
1: Thanks for having me, Casey. I'm excited to be here and to talk with you guys today.
0: Yeah, and uh, this is especially relevant for me because I'm thinking about my teaching this weekend. So I'm hoping by the end of this call, you'll have it all done for me. So thanks for if no if for no one else, then this is just for me. So thanks
1: for thanks for being. Well, willing as to soon be my as we're coach. as soon as we're done, I'm going to go video uh, my <laughs> sermon for this weekend. So we're in the same boat. Like, is this even going to work? Like, I got to get this stuff together. Yeah. But, and I wanted to say thank you, Casey, for because we're going to talk about uh, speaking by the numbers. You were the first person to read this book uh, in one of your other uh, one of your other side gigs. Um, and I didn't know that when I sent it into the, the, the raw, very raw manuscript to the to the publisher. And your feedback was extraordinarily helpful. So I wanted to say thank you for that right at the beginning.
0: Oh, my friend you for saying that. And I'm glad that it's come out. I brought a copy just so everybody can see this is what we're going to be talking about today. uh, Speaking by the numbers. Uh, Here's where I'd like to start, Sean. You know, there is uh, so much communication going on out there in our lives, whether it's through social media or, or whatever we're doing. And honestly, it's not all communication. A lot of it's just more content than communication. And so to start, how do you see preaching and teaching remaining helpful and potent in the middle of all the other content that we're dealing with on a regular basis?
1: Yeah, that's a really great question. And I think perhaps preaching and teaching right now might be more important than it's ever been in my lifetime, partly because all of us are just uh, overwhelmed with a cacophony of voices in our world, whether it is news, news, Cable news, which there is a distinction in my, in my view, um, podcasts, audiobooks, um, social media. We are being communicated with and communicated to and communicated at all of the time. But behind most of that communication is simply the idea that either someone thinks this is a good idea or it's their opinion. And the place where preaching, especially like Christian communication, really is different is this idea that I'm not just sharing my opinion about something. And of course, there's some of me in it. There's a perspective in it. There's a worldview in it that we're all shaped by forces that we're both conscious of and unconscious of. But there's something beyond that. And we keep coming back to this fundamental idea that faith really does come by hearing. And so that makes the communicator an even more pivotal role in any organization, whether it's a school or it's a church Uh, whether it's the folks in the C-suite in a typical organization, who's communicating, how they're communicating, why they're communicating. We really do have an opportunity to set a vision for people for a different kind of life, for a better life, for a more fulfilling and flourishing life. And all of that comes back to who speaks, how they speak, why they speak, and how seriously they take the lives, confusions, the conflicts, the tensions of their here. So I think it's maybe more important now than it's ever been.
0: Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. And I've, I've noticed that on so many fronts. So your book is about uh, how we investigate and integrate uh, the Enneagram into our communication. So first and foremost, um, how did you begin to bring the insights from the wisdom from the Enneagram into your own communication and then how did that flow into this book?
1: Yeah, so I started studying the Enneagram about a decade ago, and I used it like most people do, where um, I was taking the wisdom that I could draw down from it It uh, made it useful for me, for the relationships that were closest to me. And I tell the story in the book of having given a sermon one Sunday morning, and one of our community members comes up to me after and says, and she's pretty enneagram knowledgeable and she comes up to me after and she says that was the most enneagram 3 sermon i have ever heard in my life and i'm a 3 on the enneagram wrote the book 40 days of being 3 <laughs> just so i could say that i literally wrote the book on being a 3 um, so did that
0: fill you with joy or were you like oh no <laughs> <laughs>
1: well I, I laughed but it gave me a great uh, um, it gave me a great insight right into my own communication that I was communicating from a specific place and worldview that had to do with my personality structure. And um, what if in doing that, you know, I've been in ministry, full-time ministry now, Casey, for 25 years, for a quarter of a century. Like what if I've been doing that the entire time and didn't know it, that I had a way of both receiving information and then processing that information that really was um, personality specific. And if that's the case, then everybody who didn't bring in information and process information that same way, that I had missed them. And so when I was in graduate school, you know, I studied homiletics and nothing is more important to me than the charismatic event, than preaching. And so if that had been the case, like I wasn't devastated by that information, but it did send me um, into an investigation of how is it that I can become a better communicator for more people. And I thought the Enneagram might have something to offer in how people receive um, communication and then what they do, how they enact that in the real world. Yeah. How did you, I mean, the responses to the
0: Enneagram have been across the board different people would respond in different ways. Even today, I'm sure there are people who see that we're talking about this and they there's a feeling that comes up in them. Uh, how did you engage with some of the suspicion and some of the like uneasiness that a lot of times Christians expressed towards something like the Enneagram as you started to merge these two ideas together?
1: Well, first of all, I don't think that suspicion is entirely unwarranted. And the reason is because there are lots of Um, And the the more you know about the Enneagram, what you discover is there are lots of different schools. There are some core teachings that that um, that are shared across the Enneagram space. But there are folks who um, kind of use the tool in certain ways that some folks feel comfortable with and some folks feel uncomfortable with. But that's the key. Like the Enneagram is not magic. Um, It's not divine. It's a tool. And it should be used as a tool. And something doesn't have the, the reality, the truth of the Enneagram, in my experience, has been the truth of reality. It's been that people who have used the tool, developed in the tool, uh, taken it seriously, have found it useful. And so if we remind ourselves in those moments that all truth is God's truth, and that's why I titled the book Enneagram Wisdom, there's wisdom to be drawn from the Enneagram that doesn't deify the Enneagram, doesn't make it, as I say in the book, there are two mistakes people make with the Enneagram. One is that they make too little of it. And the other is that they make too much of it. And so to hold that well, to use it as a tool, as a tool for development, just like um, there are people who like certain leadership books or leadership styles. There are people who who train physically in certain ways. It's a tool and it should be used as a tool um, and it should never, the Enneagram is a wonderful tool for personal development. It is a horrific weapon when used on others. So that's the way that I have approached it. And most people that I've come into contact with seem to appreciate that. And it's one of those things like if, if if it's not useful for you, don't use it. And there's also the other side as an Enneagram teacher, where I tell other folks I work with, there's nothing you can say with Enneagram language that you can't say without Enneagram language. Mm,
0: that's a good word. Yeah. And I've found so much value in it, in it up to a certain point. You know, there's a certain place at which you feel like it's being overused. It's being predictive, like, oh, you're a three or I'm a mm-hmm. four. And that now predicts all these things that need to happen. But, man, there's so much value, especially on a team if you can know where somebody's coming from, and that's the heart of what you're talking about as far as how we communicate. Um, if you can know where somebody's coming from, that's a really helpful, really helpful tool. In the in the book, you there's a quote, and this is one of the quotes that I think really helps set up what you're doing. And you say that we forget that public proclamation, preaching or teaching is a relational act designed to call us into relationship and wholeness. I love mm-hmm. that quote because that is a lot of times we forget that how does the Enneagram wisdom enter into like address that forgetfulness? Like the fact that we forget that, how does the Enneagram wisdom that you present, how do you connect with that recovery of the idea that this is a relational act that's designed to call us into relationship and wholeness?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. And I would say, and this is kind of the aim of the book is to recenter the hearer in proclamation. And so, you know, I'm like you have been a part of preaching groups and both small groups, large groups, online groups. And one of the questions that just crawls all over my skin is when someone says, you know, I'm preaching on you know, Second Corinthians four or whatever this next week. Um, what are some of them? What, what do you guys think are some of the main points? And here's why that gets all over me, because you have taken. The charismatic event and made it about your points instead of making it about your hearers' lives. And so one of the ways we make it about relational connection is staying in that lane of this is not about what I say or about how well I say it or about building my kingdom around my preaching or building my church. So everybody said, oh, he's a great communicator. She's a great preacher, any of that. This is about the lived experience of the hearers. And I had this, um, I think, I think we cut this from the book, but this was the initial introduction, is that I went eight Sorry. years. <laughs> <What's>, <laughs> uh, Sorry. Sorry not think, think I think it was, it was a me cut, it wasn't a you cut. Um, I went eight okay. years preaching every Sunday somewhere, like for eight years straight. And we just had, a, and when I was here at Ecclesia, at that time, this was pre-COVID and pre-adding some uh, gatherings at uh, other uh, campuses. And when I was preaching here, it was five times on a Sunday. And just a crack in the schedule or whatever, I didn't uh, preach one Sunday morning. And I told the kid, i just gotten back in from a conference on Saturday night. We were really tired. We have a Sunday night worship gathering. So I said, we'll just go on Sunday night. We won't go on Sunday morning. I I've probably missed less than 10 Sunday mornings worshiping in church in my entire life. And I'm 47 years old. Um, and it was an incredible morning. My wife and I got up, we drank coffee out back on the patio. The girls slept in, they made breakfast and it's like, we sat around the kitchen table talking all morning and she, and it was like, oh, like this is what other people do on Sunday morning. And it was such a relationally deepening time. I thought, oh my goodness, if our gatherings aren't doing this for people, then I see why people would rather choose this than our gatherings so for me that was a signal that if we were going to ask people's time to be a part of that local community then we needed to be really clear on making sure that this is giving them something that is relationally healing and meaningful as this event and all of those sermons in the you know like the book of acts right has seven sermons and each of those sermons is about the communicator's personal interaction with Jesus. It is fundamentally a relational act. Um, it's not something you chart on the board. It's not theory. It's not philosophy, uh, at least not the sermons in the in the New Testament. It is about a personal interaction with the risen Lord. And that's what I think uh, Christian communication should be. Yeah.
0: Well, so I, I imagine uh, people watching are, you know, looking for ways to engage with this wisdom in their own teaching, communication, and preaching. Uh, the great thing about the book is you don't attempt to give the entire Enneagram knowledge base that you have, which is substantial. Um, but instead, you, you get to the place of saying, how do we look at, like you're saying, develop these relational connections with our hearers? And you talk about three stances. There's a defensive stance Oh boy. Yeah. Defensive stance. (laughs) I remember dependent withdrawing and aggressive stance. There Mm -hmm. we go. That's why I write these things Mm -hmm. down. Um, Those, those stances are, I think, I think when I read the book, I, I read those stances and then I pictured people. So Mm -hmm. even if people aren't like crazy about the Enneagram, I think you can read the concepts in each of those chapters and go, Oh yeah, that's, and that's that person. And that's that person. So practically, When you're building um, and you're, you're working into a communication piece, a message or whatever, how do you begin to integrate practically this idea of connecting with people at those particular places?
1: Okay. Yeah. So to answer that question, I need to back up just a few steps. So Please. there are, um, and th- this, isn't, this isn't just Enneagram. This is just the way that people are made. That we all have three centers of intelligence, thinking, feeling, and doing. We all think, we all feel, we all do. We're doing this every day. This is how we function in the world. Um, But in Enneagram wisdom, there are three numbers of the nine on the Enneagram that are dominant in each of those intelligence centers. Three people um, engage with the world through thinking, three numbers through feeling, three through doing. That is the automatic compulsive response to the world. But also what that means is that we are all then repressed in one of those centers. And being repressed doesn't mean that we don't do it. It just means that it costs us more energy. And in the book, I define what thinking is, what feeling is, and what doing is, because everybody does these things in a day or just couldn't function. And so when you look out at a congregation, when you look at any group that you're communicating with, you know, like I've got folks here. Who want to think, 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 think. And they want a message where you've got 15 um, scripture verses you're quoting great theologians, and they just want to kind of really just want to bathe in knowledge. Like that's how they see the world. And other people are like, "Um, so what? What are we going to do about that? These are these are the people who come up to you after a sermon and say, So what are we supposed to do? Right. And then you've got folks who, if you don't engage how they feel. Um, they can't be motivated to think more deep because they will jump. They will they will do something without thinking it through. I mean, I've been a in, like I said, been in ministry twenty five years. I've had plenty of opportunities to see people feel strongly about something, hop into doing it, and haven't thought about the repercussions of what that's going to mean for them or the organization. And then that's where people say, "Well, we had all these unintended consequences." So when I'm approaching a message. I'm thinking now, um, how do I get people to think? Like, so I want to actually work with data in a particular way. And I talk about Nancy Duarte's book, Data Story, and and speaking by the numbers about how to communicate data in a storified way that's really compelling. So I want people to think. I want people to feel. I don't want to leave that out. Um, I remember a pastor that I knew got criticized about 12 years ago by someone in their church saying like oh if he would just cry every once in a while like she's actually communicating (laughs) something about her own need but she's also communicating something about the way that he communicates that it seems really detached um and then do like there are pastors out there who will just wear their church out with like if there's a doing application every week for something big like man that's going to be really charged up for someone for the first 24 months that they're there. And then they're going to be like, that's just wore me out. Or they're going to be in a life situation where they're like, I've got three kids. I'm running around. Um, we've got this going on with my parents. Like, and I feel like a bad Christian because I can't do all the stuff that they're asking me to do at church. So balancing all of that in a way that makes space for who people are, the way that they are wired and that they, that they can't change. So I, mean, I remember guests speaking at a, a church in Belton, Texas, about a year ago, and I was just talking about, you know, Christian spiritual practices, and a mom came up to me after, and I could tell she had been crying, and this was not a crying sermon, like there were no, there were no emotional stories, like or anything like that, and she wanted to talk with me, and the first thing she said was like, I have three children, and I really wanted do like those sorts and I could like she was and I just looked at her and I said it's it's going to be harder for you now than it will ever be because the weight of every but he, here's what she was reacting to she wanted to do something it was very hard for her to do something she's been in this series because I was just a part of the series about all of these different spiritual practices, and she felt like she was a bad Christian, a bad person because she just did not have space. And so some of us need to carve out a ton of space for some things. In her life circumstance, and I know you know this, Casey, because you teach Christian formation, spiritual formation to a lot of people. Like there are times in life where you just can't do more than you're doing right now. (laughs) Like, and you have to have, you have to have, spiritual practices that are shaped around your life stage right that actually makes sense so that's why it's important for pastors to think on all of these levels and it's like like well man do 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 like jesus didn't teach that way the apostles didn't teach that way it's a much more robust and well-rounded there are some things that you need to know so we're going to talk about Uh, loving God with all of your mind. That's part of what Jesus talks about. There are some things that you need to do. And so we're going to be strategic about what that is, both at a corporate congregational level and a personal level. And there are some ways that you actually do need to feel. I mean, like love is not only a feeling, but it is a feeling. And that is at the heart of Christian practice. So we want to touch on all of those in a way that makes sense and what we're doing now at Ecclesia is we're beginning to structure our entire spiritual formation around those three centers of intelligence thinking feeling mm. and doing. So that's a long answer to your question but I wanted to make sure I got kind of thorough.
0: No, I love what I love most about that Sean is it is it it bucks against I think what we often do with preaching which is we in in our traditions we make it the center and you know other tra- other traditions and there's Eucharist and and all that, but that it sometimes it becomes such the center that it becomes an isolated pod over here. And I love how you're talking about, here's how we communicate, but this is also how we think about formation. Hmm. Uh, I think that's tremendous. I'm wondering with that formation language in mind, for someone who's watching, who's a communicator, what do you sense is it will need to change about them? Because this is always about starting with where we communicate from. Mm-hmm. What what formational move needs to happen in most of us in order to embrace speaking well to the thinking, feeling, and doing folks? What is the thing that needs to shift in us the most?
1: Yeah, so so this is not going to be very specific, but it's something I come back to. All uh, there was about fifteen years ago, there was a survey done um, from the uh, the tribe that I come from and kind of some adjacent tribes, and they asked. Um, Congregation members, church members, elders, and pastors, ministers. What did they think was most important for their pastors and ministers to do? And the top three vote getters were um, lead the organization well, um, preaching and teaching, and be a spiritually formed person. But the difference was elders, they're ranked number one to lead the organization well. Pastors and ministers ranked number one, preach and teach, but congregation members said to be a well-formed spiritual person. And that was number three, that was the lowest ranking for elders and pastors. And so what congregation, what the congregation needs from us is not better preaching. And in my tribe, your tribe, like I think we probably have per capita, the best communicators in terms of a denomination. But what the congregation wants is that the person who's talking with, she, he knows God. And if Mm -hmm. you immerse yourself in spiritual practices as a communicator, it will overflow, as one of my professors used to say, like, like ministry comes from the overflow, right, of your spiritual life. So that's why if you, If you want to communicate more robustly, uh, the thing to do is spend more time developing spiritually, more time in silence, solitude, secrecy, all of those spiritual practices that most of us say, I just don't have time for that because I've got so much to do down at the church. Not only will it help you help your congregation in terms of your speaking and preaching, it's actually what they want and it's actually what you need. So that's the key. Um, is to be more immersed in spiritual practices that will develop the places in you that are not as developed. So this comes back to the, the Enneagram. So if you're, if you are repressed in your thinking center, your feeling center, your doing center, to work on those kinds of things that help you bring that up to develop that helps you become a more well-rounded communicator.
0: And, I can't agree with that enough. Just my passion is for you know soul health and resiliency of leaders. That's a lot of what Spire has been about, especially after the last few years of pandemic. And uh, I'm just wondering how has the wisdom of the Enneagram helped to boost your own uh, soul health and resiliency in teaching and in ministry and just life? Uh, just because I know bring it isn't just about a technique we bring into a message. Uh, but for this last question, can you talk a little bit to how the wisdom of the Enneagram has influenced your own soul health and resiliency yeah. for what you do?
1: Well, I would say the biggest, um, the biggest blessing it's been for me now, you know, a decade into studying the Enneagram and using the Enneagram is the same one that it was at the beginning. It just goes deeper, which is grace. I, have, I feel so much more graciously oriented not only toward other people, but toward myself. Um, And when you begin to see, um, and and you know this from spiritual formation, those watching who have been in counseling and therapy who practice those as part of their uh, work, um, spiritual directors, we all know, right? All behavior makes sense in context, right? Like you don't have to agree with it. You don't have to like it, but it makes sense. And when you begin to see like how it is that I'm moving through the world and that there's an explanation for how I'm moving through the world. but There's also an explanation for how my wife and children move through the world. And the more that I can know about them, the more that I can know about the people on the teams and the church where I serve, the people that are in the pew, um, the more I know that, oh, this is how they are receiving this. This is where they're struggling. The more gracious I can be toward them and with them, And, and so it's, this becomes this idea of as a, as an avenue for understanding the other, which then creates, um, Christian hospitality, this radical openness to the other. That's been the biggest blessing for me.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Sean, man, thank you for your wisdom. Thank you for the gift of your book. Um, those of you watching, uh, the book's called speaking by the numbers, Enneagram wisdom for teachers, pastors, and communicators, um, I think it's a tremendous resource. Um, um, You helped me for this weekend too. So you have no idea you were doing that. And now I'm like, oh gosh, I got to go back and work on all kinds of stuff for for Sunday. But thank you so much for your presence and uh, and all that you do and uh, for communicating well to communicators. Uh, We don't often get that kind of coaching and encouragement. So
1: thank you for doing that. I appreciate it. Well, thank you for that, Casey. And thanks for having me. I'm honored to be here.
0: Of course. Well, thank you all for joining the Spirecast today. Um, I'm hoping that this has been helpful to you. I'm hoping that this will encourage and enhance your ministry and all that you're doing. And again, pick up a copy of Sean's book and uh, hopefully you can get through it before the weekend. Who knows? Maybe that's a good thing for you uh, to get into. But thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate you guys. Be well. Peace.